0: Well, good morning, church. And it's good to see everybody here and worshiping with us. Those of you online, I want to welcome you. excuse me, and I just want to remind you that if you're a guest with us today, we're so glad that you're here. And I just want to encourage you that after the service, go out to our guest services. It's right outside these main doors. We have an amazing team out there that just wants to get to know you and begin building a relationship with you, hopefully answering questions and whatever information you need so you might consider making Central Community Church your church home. Well, as you saw in that video, you— are the church. I am the church. We are the church. And here this morning, we're going to be reading a letter from first Thessalonians. It is a letter to the church. And so this letter that was written to the church in Thessalonica, it had a meaning, it had a purpose for them. But it also has meaning and purpose for you and I today, because we are the church. Last week we had the privilege of having some of our missionaries in town from from out of the country, And, and I had the privilege of going to lunch with them. And one of the things that came up at the lunch was a conversation around persecution. And they began to share some of their experiences and stories from being all around the world, the realness of persecution that believers face all over the world. Now, in so many other countries, the persecution that people face is of the physical nature, isn't it? People are are thrown out of their homes, they are thrown in jail, they are beaten, tortured, and even killed for their faith in Jesus. You and I don't typically face that kind of persecution here in America, do we? It's not usually of the physical nature, but we still find ourselves facing persecution. Persecution is just the harassment or unwanted treatment or or bad treatment of someone based off of their faith in Jesus. A lot of our persecution results not in a physical nature, but again, maybe in a a financial or social context. Maybe we lose our job because we stand up for our faith. We stand up for Jesus and we, we don't get that promotion, Maybe an athlete or celebrity comes out and and they talk about their faith, they share their trust in Jesus, and they lose out on the endorsement or the marketing opportunity because they took a stand for Jesus. Some of you are business owners, and because you took your stand for Jesus, because your customers and your clients know where you stand in your faith, you lost business, Customers walked out on you. Clients no longer use you for whatever service you provide because they don't appreciate your faith in Jesus. Persecution takes different shapes and forms. Some of it is social. Again, maybe because you stood for Jesus and everyone knows your faith that now you don't belong to the same social circles. You're an outcast. You're looked down upon. You're not included in some of the things and the events that you once were because you stood for Jesus. Some of our youth may take their Bible to to school and and they might read it in school. They might share their faith at school and all of a sudden they're they're an outcast. They're made fun of. They're ridiculed. And from a social standpoint in a social context, they face all kinds of persecution. You know, Paul He was very familiar with persecution, wasn't he? Paul who who wrote 1 Thessalonians, he went around during the New Testament and he went and he would build churches. He would start churches. He would encourage them and get them going and everywhere he went, he faced persecution. In fact, right before he went to Thessalonica, he was in Philippi. And for his faith, he was beaten and thrown in jail. He gets out, he goes to Thessalonica, he starts a church, and standing on the word of God, he starts to face persecution there, and he has to leave there as well. Some of his co workers and his helpers stay, and in fact, he sends Timothy back at one point to encourage the church to bring back a report, and he ends up writing 1 Thessalonians. Now, I know some of you might be here today, and, and maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you're sitting there and you're going, wow, I, I got invited to church today. Maybe I was driving by and I just felt like, man, I need to come in here today because my life, I'm going through some crazy things right now. Life is hard. And I came here looking for an answer. And now you're telling me that if I put my faith in Jesus, I have to add persecution to my plate? No, thank you. I can't take anymore. I just want to ask you just to pause that thought and bear with me as we go through this because earlier Pastor Phil asked everyone in here to raise their hand if they had experienced the goodness of God, the love of God, the power of God in their lives, and you saw hands go up all over the place. So if you're not a believer, what I want you to know is you have witnesses all around you that are proof that the relationship, the joy that comes from being in relationship with Jesus Christ, it's worth anything and everything we might face, including persecution. And today's message where where Paul is talking to the church is going through persecution and and we're taking out some, some key ideas and steps and concepts for you and I, it doesn't pertain just to persecution. It also pertains to the entire walk of life, the hard times, the trials, the principles you will see are consistent throughout it all. So we're going to take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 13 through 20 this morning, kind of take it apart, and then we'll turn the corner and we'll get into what does it mean for you and I. So would you stand out of respect for God's word as we begin reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'm going to read these seven verses. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which indeed is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. Who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out? They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned and being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will use your word to change us, to mold us, to encourage us, so that we are not the same when we leave this place. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus that we all pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as we dive into these seven verses, there's, there's kind of three key things that I want to pull out of it. And the first one is this, we must put God's word inside of us. Now I'm going I'm to challenge you a little bit, and I know I'm talking to the group, so I use words like we and us, but maybe on your worship folder this morning, you need to cross out that we and us and put I and me because you are the church. I must put God's word inside of me. Look at verse 13 here. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is. The word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Now, when you look at this verse, you see a couple of things. You see that they received the word and they accepted it. Now, at first glance, you might be thinking, okay, Paul said the same thing twice, but he actually didn't. They actually mean a little bit different. The receiving and the accepting are two different things. They're similar, but different. We've got to look at the original Greek that Paul was writing in, and when we see the word received, what Paul was actually using there was a word that described hearing intellectually. They heard with their ears. They were open to hearing the message that Paul was sharing. You see, Paul would go into the church, into the temple, And he would begin talking about Old Testament scripture and how it pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. He would be sharing the good news, the gospel in these settings. And those that began to believe, the church was formed. But what he's saying is, you were open to hearing with your ears. You received it, you processed it, you thought about it. When he says that you accepted it, What he is actually saying in the Greek, it's a different word. And this word here means that they heard it with their heart. There's a difference there, isn't it? We know that we can hear it, but we don't always hear it and believe it and accept it in our heart. And that's what Paul's saying. He said, you heard it intellectually. You listened to the message, but you let it come into your heart. You believed it, and they believed And they became the church. They became the believers. We see that Paul then says, "I know you're believers. I can see what's happening because I can see the word of God, which is at work in you." He says, "You've believed the word. You've been you believed what's been said, and now I can see through the power of the Holy Spirit, your life is being changed. You guys aren't the same people anymore." God is doing a work in you. And and I want to point out one more word from, from Greek, and I'm not using the words because I probably couldn't pronounce them very well, and you wouldn't know which ones they were. But that word work there, what Paul is saying is it's a word that describes where God literally exhibits his power in a believer to energize them for the work that he has called them to do. Isn't that amazing that that God uses his word through the power of the Holy Spirit to energize you and me so that we can do what he's called us to do. And that's what Paul's talking about to these believers in Thessalonica. He's saying, you heard it with your ears. You heard it in your heart. And now I can see God doing a work in your life. The word is changing you. God is changing you because you believe that it wasn't my word you believe that it was God's word. I want to step out of the context of this passage for just for a second and look at a few passages and talk about God's word for a second and the power in God's word and what is God's word. Look at this. Second Timothy 3:16. 3, All scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. It's God-breathed. That's what Paul was saying to the church. He said, you believe that it wasn't a human word. It's not Paul's word. It is God's word that he brought to the people. The gospel is from God. Look at this. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's Word is alive because it is Spirit-filled. The Spirit uses God's Word. Here's another one. Your Word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Again, we see another descriptor of what God's Word does and what it can do is it can guide. It can light the way. I want to read for you some, some other words that are used to describe God's Word and the power behind it because God's Word... We see this in Scripture that God's Word saves, it teaches, it guides, it counsels, it revives, it restores, it warns, it nourishes, it judges, it sanctifies, it frees, enriches, protects, strengthens, reconciles, and on and on and on. God's Word can accomplish so much. And why is that? Because God's Word has a purpose. God has purpose in his word, and through the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, he uses that word to change you and I. And I know that his word has purpose, because look at this, so is my word that goes from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve, the purpose for which I sent it. God's word has purpose. God's word has meaning. And when he wants it to accomplish something in your life, in my life, he uses the Holy Spirit to do that work in your life and mine when the Word of God is in us. Because the church accepted the Word of God, because they believed, they became the church. They received salvation their life was changed into here and now and for all of eternity but i want you to know also that by believing in the word of god that it truly was the word of god and they let it transform their lives and change their lives and believe that it was the truth it's also what brought about the persecution into their life the truth it's true for the church in thessalonica and it's true for our church and it's true for you and me that when we stand on god's word when we say that this is God's word, it's not man's word, and we believe that it is true and we allow it to transform our life and we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit through God's word, that's what brings the persecution towards you and me and towards the church. And we see this in the next verse. But the next point is this, is we must surround, we must put God's people around us. Excuse me. Look at this in Verse 14, For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. Paul's talking to the church and he's telling them, Hey, church in Thessalonica, I want you to know that you're not alone. He refers to them as brothers and sisters, making sure that they understood that they were part of the family. And he says, You are not alone. You might think that you're going through this persecution all alone and you're the only church that because you're standing on God's word, you're being persecuted. But that's not true. You're not alone. There's another church in Judea. They're being persecuted by Jews. You're being persecuted by Gentiles. The persecution looks a little bit different, but you guys are going through the same thing. You can encourage one another. You can strengthen one another. You understand what this other church is going through. So don't fall into the lies that you are the only one going through it and you're alone. Paul knew what it was like to be persecuted. And you and I, we, we could agree that when we, whether we go through persecution, whether we go through hard times, if we start to believe that we're the only ones going through something like that and we become isolated from the group, it's a whole lot harder to go on, isn't it? We're more likely to give up when we think that we are all alone. And Paul is telling them, he's saying, church, you're not alone. There are others going through the same things. This is true again, whether it's persecution or hard times or trials or or sickness or whatever it might be, you're not alone. There are so many other people in this body going through the same things. And Paul was making sure that that church knew, you're not alone in your persecution. Stand strong because others are going through it as well. Encourage one another. Strengthen one another. You know, when I'm looking at these first two kind of points that we pull out in these first two verses, it makes me think of Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 and 39, where the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus by asking him, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds with this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus responds and what he's telling us, and what he tells the Pharisees is, what's important is this vertical relationship. First and foremost, you have to be connected with God. There has to be a love for God. And that, out of that should spill out a love for For one another. When you look at this church in Thessalonica that's what Paul's saying. He's excited about this church and he's not always excited about what every church is doing but he's excited about this church because what he sees in them is a church that is founded on the word of God. That is the foundation for this church in their lives and he sees how they they love God, how they have a relationship with him and they are connected vertically with God through this word. And because there was a body and they were encouraging each other, he sees a connection, a love for neighbor. So we see this vertical connection and this horizontal connection that Jesus tells us is so important in your life and mine to love God and love other people. It's the key for you and I to remember Jesus's words today, that we are to love him and to love others. Now, before we we get to the third point in this, I want to talk about a few things that happen in the following verses. And one of them is that Paul starts talking about how the persecution is an attempt to keep them from talking to the Gentiles and the Gentiles from being saved. I just want to remind you that when we're talking about persecution and you and I are going through persecution as personal as it might feel, and I'm not trying to discount how it feels when we're going through the persecution, but the persecution is always an attempt to silence God's word. It's an attempt to stop the gospel from being shared. We are the vessels, and we are the messengers, and so we are the ones that end up getting persecuted, but it is an attempt and an attack on God's word because it is God's word that is the truth, and the world doesn't want To hear the truth. He goes on and he talks about how he longs to come and see the church. We see the soft side of Paul and how he says that he loves and he misses them and he wants to come be with them. But he says Satan is hindering him from coming. I want you to know that Satan does his best to hinder God's plan. He does his best to hinder you and I. But I want to remind you, just like we sang in that song earlier this morning, that there's victory in Jesus. Okay. God has already declared victory. God has already won. And you and I are on the winning team. And so while Satan does his best to disrupt and cause chaos and keep us from doing things, God has a bigger plan. God has a much bigger plan. And we see that in this example. I think Satan was pretty excited because he stopped Paul from going, and Paul was discouraged and a little frustrated. But look what God did in that. If Paul would have made the journey to Thessalonica, he would have talked to the believers there. He would have talked to the group that was the church. He would have shared, and that would have been the group that heard his message. But he didn't get it going. What did God do? He turned it into something bigger. God gave Paul the word for the church and had him write it down into a letter that now you and I today are talking about. You and I are reading. You and I are studying and learning and being encouraged through that word. Think about all of the believers that have been able to hear God's word through that letter. And it was because Paul wasn't able to go, but God turned it into something even greater. You and I face that today, don't we? There's times and there's places that it just feels like, man, God, I need you to do something amazing. It feels like Satan is hindering us and slowing us down or stopping us from doing something. But God has a bigger plan in store. The hard part for Paul and the hard part for us, I think sometimes is we don't always get to see it, do we? I don't think Paul realized it at that time. I think he showed up to heaven and and God probably said to him, hey, Paul, remember when you weren't able to go and you were frustrated? (laughs) Satan thought he had won, but look what I did with that. Look how many more people are gonna hear my word because there's victory in my name and I control the power. We may not see it in our lifetime, okay? It might be the generations after us. It might be others after we're long gone where people go, wow, I can see it. I now realize why they went through what they went through. Look what God did with that. He turned it into something much bigger than they could have ever imagined. So we got to trust God in that. Okay. All right. So the last point here, we must put God's glory ahead of us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. What Paul is saying is, he's saying, my joy comes from knowing and seeing other people giving their life to Jesus. Paul is spending his whole entire life, this is what he's dedicated his life to, sharing the gospel and seeing other people come to Jesus. Paul's saying, Jesus is going to come back, and my friends, he is going to come back. And Paul says, When he comes back, I'm going to be so excited because many of you, many of you are going to be in the presence of God, worshiping Jesus just as I am. And I'm so thankful to have been a part of your story. You are my reward. The persecution, the hard times, it was worth it because you and I are going to be in heaven together. Paul's joy came from seeing people give their life to Jesus. He's encouraging the church. He's reminding them that through whatever that's going on, in order to be that strong church, in order to be that strong believer, we've got to have God's word inside of us. We've got to have God's people around us, and we need to have God's glory ahead of us, looking at the big picture and reminding ourselves of what's to come. So the question for you and I is, how does this change our life? What does this mean for you and me? What does it mean when when Paul says that we must have God's word in us? What does that mean for you today? How do you view God's word? Do you believe just like the church in Thessalonica that it truly is the word of God? That it is true, it is without error? It has purpose to accomplish things in your life that you and I could never imagine or expect. Do you believe that? We're sitting in the church, and so I I bet many of you would say, yes, that's what I believe. I wonder, though, if our actions match it. Is our Bible sitting on the shelf pretty dusty? Or are the pages worn out because we can't get enough of it? What does the word of God look like in your life? I came across a story that was talking about this this lady in Europe, and and she was blind, and so she would read God's word through Braille. And at one point in her life, she could no longer feel the Braille because her fingers were calloused. She began trying to file the calluses off and, and kind of cut away the skin, thinking that that would help her to be able to once again feel the Braille. But it didn't it made it worse and forever she was no longer able to feel braille with her fingertips and read God's word that way she grabbed the papers and braille and she decided to kiss them before she put them in the drawer and when she kissed them she realized that with her lips she could feel the braille and you know the rest of the story don't you She wanted, she hungered for God's word so much that she read God's word the rest of her life using her lips. I wonder how we view God's word. Do we hunger after it? Do we desire it more than anything? Billy Graham once said, one of the greatest things a Christian can do is to memorize scripture. You know why that is? Because it puts God's word inside of us. It puts God's word inside of us. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit, God uses that word to transform us and change us. I wonder if some of us need to maybe go home today and for the first time in a long time, pull out our Bible. Maybe we need to start memorizing a a scripture, a passage. Maybe there's one that comes to your mind right now that you just can't remember. It's, It's on the tip of your tongue and you can't remember all of it. Maybe God wants you to memorize that scripture starting today and throughout the week. Watch what God does with that scripture in your life. And don't be surprised if he, he uses it so that you'll share it with someone else as well. But what do you need to do in your life to make sure God's word is going inside of you? What about God's people around you? Are you surrounded by God's people? Do you have people around you and in your life that are encouraging you and challenging you and motivating you as you walk through your journey of faith? I want to remind you that community isn't something that just happens. Community takes effort. It is built over time. But it's so important. Maybe some of you today, we need to be thinking about how do we plug ourselves in? How do we get that community? We'll be starting up life groups again next month. Maybe you need to make the commitment now to go, I need that community in my life. I need to surround myself with God's people Next month, I'm going to be signing up and getting involved in a life group. Maybe it's going to a Wednesday night class or a Sunday school class. It might be all sorts of things, but are you surrounding yourself with community that will encourage you and strengthen you and challenge you? And are you doing the same for others? But I need you to hear that it takes more than just showing up. There's times where I come home after a long day and I'm sitting at the dinner table and All of a sudden, I hear my wife kind of go, Justin, yeah, yeah. Are you with us? I go, yeah, of course I'm with you. I'm sitting right here. And out of her grace, she just smiles. And I know what the smile means. It means you're here physically, but you're not really here. You're somewhere else mentally. You're you're not engaged mentally and emotionally and spiritually. And that's true for us in the church as well as being part of the body and experiencing that community is more than just sitting in these seats. It's more than just being physically present. We've got to let the walls down. We've got to let our guard down. We have to be vulnerable, but we have to be willing to engage relationally and spiritually and mentally and physically. It's not easy and it takes time, but I want to encourage you that maybe today is the day that you need to make that commitment to truly make community a part of your life so that you're not going through the things you're going through alone because it's hard to go through life. And it's even harder to try to go through them alone. You and I, the church was built to strengthen and encourage one another, just like Pastor Phil talked about at prayer time so we could carry each other's burdens and help each other through the life. What about your joy? Where's your joy coming from today? Does it come from where Paul was getting his joy? Does your joy come from knowing and seeing that people are coming to Christ? Is that where your joy is? Man, I hope so. If it's not, you really need to go back and look at, is God's word inside of you and is God's people around you? Because if God's word's inside of you and God's people are around you, you can't help but want to see people come to know Jesus. So my question for you today is, whose story are you a part of? You've experienced it before, a friend, a family, someone you know, coming to put their faith in Jesus. I think about a coworker I had before coming to work at the church, and I remember what it was like when he decided to follow Jesus and get baptized in this church. And then I saw his kids get baptized in this church man, the joy I got to experience through being a part of that story. You know the joy I'm talking about. Don't you want to experience more of that joy? Don't you want to experience that joy <clears throat> Excuse me, each and every day? Not just once or twice. That's great that it happened in the past, but whose story are you a part of today? Whose eternity are you impacting moving forward? Is there somebody that you need to be praying about today that God needs to give you the opportunity and he's going to give you the opportunity to share the gospel? Is there somebody that you need to begin building a relationship with so that you can share the gospel with them here soon? Maybe there's somebody that you already know you've been supposed to be sharing the gospel with and you need to go take care of business this week. You need to go to them and love and share God's word and share the good news with this person. This is where our joy should come from. We should be excited. We should be a church that is serious about reaching the lost, going and making disciples. And that joy that you and I will experience from that and doing it together With God's word at the foundation, we can't even begin to imagine what would happen in this church and the joy that you and I would experience. I just want to encourage you. What is it that God's laying on your heart this morning? At the bottom of the worship folder, I left a blank space for you. I believe that God's word has power. And this morning, as we've been talking about God's word and and you've been hearing from God, that the Holy Spirit has laid something on your heart. I'd encourage you to write it down. There's something coming from this for each and every one of us that God has for our life to grow and to mature and develop and to be a stronger believer. I'd encourage you, maybe even when you write it at the bottom, maybe the first step of engaging in that community is find someone around you to share it with. Tell them what you wrote. Tell them what you think God is calling you to do leaving here today. I want you to know my wife and I, we were talking about this last night. And the thing that we were talking about was we said, you know what? For us, we've got to be more intentional with community. We've got to to be intentional with relationships and surrounding ourselves and, and being encouraged and encouraging one another. It's for me. It's for you. God has something for each of us this morning. And I know that he's speaking to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope that you listen to what he has for you today. And I pray that you will let the power of God's word, the encouragement of God's people around you, and the joy of God's glory ahead of you, the joy of seeing people come to Jesus because you're part of their story, I pray that that's our driving force as a church and as a people. It's not just for today and what we're going through, these three things. This is for you and me for the rest of our lives of keeping those things at the center of our faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the power that is in your word. I pray that each and every one of us will have a a passion and a desire that we will crave your word and that we will place it deep down inside of us, do a work in our life. I pray that we will be a church that takes community seriously. I pray that for each and every one of us, we will surround ourselves, that you will bring the right people into our lives so that we will be a people who can encourage one another. Strengthen one another and challenge one another. And may our joy, Father, may it come from seeing people accept your son Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And so today, Father, maybe there's some in this room that need to make that decision to follow Jesus, to accept your word as truth. And so I pray, God, that in their hearts, they will believe that you are exactly who you said you are, that you are the Messiah. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that today, their trust will be in you. May each and every one of us leave today with our trust stronger today than yesterday. Do not let us be the same, but let us be different as we go out. Help us to be your church for the world to see. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Would you stand and receive the blessing? And I want to encourage you, if you want to make that journey today, if you want to start following Jesus, or, or maybe there's some questions, out at a starting point, out in the foyer, we've got a great team that would love to talk with you more about your personal walk as you begin that journey. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance and give you his peace. Today was just the beginning of the week. It was day one of your worship. So this week as you go out, continue your worship everywhere you go. God bless you.